listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, it's great to be with you as we open the word on this Easter Sunday. We're actually going to begin in John's Gospel. We're going to begin in chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. And we're actually starting at the night before uh, Jesus' crucifixion, when he appears before the governor of Judea, the Roman official Pontius Pilate. And this is part of that account. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at this time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Here we see the accounts of Jesus interacting with Pilate. Jesus is passed around from the Jewish authorities here to the Roman authorities who ultimately had control and power in this area as Israel and Judea was occupied by the Roman Empire. And you can see the way in which Pilate is caught up trying to fulfill his role. He was the administrator over this area, but also he was the cultivator of an important narrative. And that narrative was that Rome was happy to rule over this far-flung empire to let people worship in the ways that they wanted to worship as long as that worship did not challenge the official ideology and the story of Rome, which was that Rome had to have power because it was able to create this sense of order and to bring what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome across the world. So Pilate sees and feels the tension here. He's this Jesus claiming he is a king. And this directly comes against the role that Pontius Pilate was called to be the teller of the one true story. That Rome was actually at the top and Jesus was not king, that she Caesar was king. And Pilate faces the reality that leaders have throughout history. That leaders are people who rule, but part of the way they rule is through telling a dominant story, which must justify why these people are in power. And all throughout history, leaders through different forms of technology, whether in this time it was putting up statues or idols or building temples or coliseums, used these means of media, which means communication to justify and tell their story in the world as to why they should be in charge. And often connected to these forms of media is a myth 
which is a bunch of stories put together, which justifies the rule and reign of these people. Now, throughout most of history, to build a coliseum, to build a statue, to have a TV station, to own a radio station was incredibly prohibitive because of its cost. And so what this meant was power was held most often by those who were the most rich and the most powerful. And thus there was these singular stories that hung over the empires, the kingdoms of history, that their rule was justified by this one story. But what's interesting is we live in a really dynamic and changing landscape. The ability to now make your own media is absurdly cheap. And at first, this technology, when it came onto our radar in many of our lifetime of mobile phones, of the internet, of technology, where all of a sudden we could produce media, started really in many fun ways. There was these viral challenges. I don't know if people remember planking the great Australian contribution to the world of the selfie in terms of we named it, or flipping half-filled bottles of water and trying to land them the right way up. But beneath all of this viral online fun, there was a new dynamic breaking out into the world that if you had a mobile phone or a computer, you now were the media. And soon the potential for this new medium to question the official narratives of power began to be revealed. A viral video of a Tunisian street vendor named Mohamed Bouzazi protesting government oppression through setting himself on fire went viral in the Middle East, setting the entire region in a sort of revolutionary fire, which we now call the Arab Spring. As all across the Arab world, governments fell as this new media facilitated a movement against the dominant governments and particularly attacked the stories that they had told and able to hold an entrenched power because they controlled the means of communication. Now, really interestingly, nine months earlier than when Buzazi actually set himself on fire, another street vendor Absalem Trimic had set himself on fire in protest at the same government mistreatment in the same country. He also died, yet no protests ensured. Why? Because no one filmed it. There were no images. There was no online virality, and thus there were no protests. But since Bouazizi's filmed death and protest We have seen all across the world since 2011, this growing wave of protests from all corners of the globe, both on tweets, in the streets. This thing has taken over so much of how we understand the world. A vast array of injustices, often many long obscured, have actually been revealed in all of their ugliness. And in countless stories, almost daily, sometimes almost feels like by the hour, many storied and even beloved institutions from governments, political parties, corporations, areas of entertainment, sporting bodies, and even sometimes the church have had their carpets lifted to reveal rotting and acrid foundations. To put this in biblical language, sin has moved clearly from the dark into the blinding light of day. 
So one thing that we can say about our time is that our human-powered ability to reveal evil and sin in the world has been increased because of the tools that we have at our hands. Now, today, in this new environment, rarely is the dominant story that we hear from governments or those in power accepted now unquestionably. New technology enables us to go around the official narratives. We can question the official accounts given those by given those by by those given by those in power. Yet a problem arises. There is no longer one official story, which means power is questioned. But the new reality is because there are millions of these devices, the internet is everywhere, that there are many stories now that we can question. An official narrative given by the powers that can be be questioned and challenged by a new narrative. Yet that new narrative also finds itself on shaky ground in this new media landscape. Itself questioned as fervently as the dominant narratives it itself was questioning. The protest movement can quickly find itself being protested. And as the Belarusian writer Yevgeny Morozov has noted, governments and corporations now use this confusion, understanding the new rules of the game, to obscure injustices themselves. Increasingly unjust regimes in the world no longer attempt to tell one official story, but rather muddy the waters and release into the world a mix of contradictory narratives and facts in order to confuse and distract. So we face this strange new landscape to traverse. A world of injustices uncovered, mixed in often with competing and contradictory stories. The stories of genuine victims of oppression are unveiled and shown. Yet at the same time, in other places, the posture of victimhood is weaponized for ulterior personal or political gain. We are told that we are all powerful and able to affect change, while at the same time being told that we face an unsurmountable systemic polluting levels of injustice which cover almost every square inch of society. In such an environment, we find ourselves asking with Pontius Pilate, what is truth. With such a dilemma, we find ourselves stuck between the two alternatives traditionally attributed to the early church theologian Tertullian. When faced by sin, we can follow a path of what he called irreligion, write it off as too exhausting and too confusing. Retreat from this cultural fray and the injustices revealed and focus upon the cultivation of a life of human pleasure. Turn away from what has been revealed and seek at the nearest beach, the next bash or a bottle of booze. And this is so the Australian way. Or the second option that Julian talked about, is we can follow what he called the path of religion, to see the injustice and try and change it through a moral program of reformation. But what Tertullian meant is a moral path of religious reformation that is actually, in fact, powered by human effort. 
Now, the first choice ignores sin and thus only sees it grow, both in the culture because it's, it's left to grow wild, but also in the individual as the pursuit of pleasure inevitably with no moral boundaries will lead to corruption. The second what Tertullian called the religious attempt to rectify things and remedy the problem fails because humans are fallen creatures. And so our attempts to change are contradictory and flawed. Good is achieved, but so often a negative side effects, unseen. Motives become clouded, shame becomes a tool, and mercy is abandoned. Thus the story of history is that often each generation spends their time trying to find solutions to the problems caused by the last generation solutions to the problems that they faced. We're like the man moving through the barn filled with hay trying to put out a fire not realizing he actually has his shirt ablaze. So at this time in history, yes, our ability and the tools we have to reveal sin are incredibly powerful. But our fallen human nature prevents us from removing sin from the world. Tertullian offered a third and decisive option, the cross. And this Resurrection Sunday, we must be reminded that the empty tomb is God's confirmation and announcement of Jesus' victory upon the cross. Sometimes we can preach through Good Friday to Sunday and almost have this sort of like sermon, which is like on Good Friday, Jesus was defeated and Satan thought he'd won. But then on Good, you know, on, on Resurrection Sunday, he burst from the tomb and is like, aha, I tricked you. The cross wasn't a defeat. The powers of evil and sin got defeated. The cross was actually a moment of glorification, a coronation, when actually the fallen powers of the world were shown up for what they really were. The person who looked vulnerable and impotent on a cross actually was tearing down the spiritual strongholds that had captured the whole of creation. And so on Resurrection Sunday, we see God allow that to burst from the tomb. You can't get to Sunday without going through Friday. And so often we want to do that. And so at this point, it's worth allowing Paul to remind us, as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, that the church preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness, to Gentiles. The cross got stuck in people's throat in the first century. And today it continues to do so. It will continue to be a stumbling block in our day to both non-Christians, those who don't believe, but also to Christians. Attacking with laser precision the underlying bedrock belief that unites all sides of our seemingly contradictory and fragmenting modern worlds underneath all of it. There is a unifying belief that the world will be redeemed by human power. John Stott encourages us this. Either we preach 
that human beings are rebels against God under his just judgment and if left to themselves, lost, and that Christ crucified who bore their sins and curse is the only available saviour? Or we emphasise human potential and human ability with Christ brought in only to boost them and with no necessity for the cross. This is Sunday without Friday. And so humans coming as agents of justice, even when we have the power to reveal injustice, when we come in our own authority, we can actually do little. As Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Now, later on, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the empty tomb, On the other side of the upper room filled with heavenly fire, those servants will fight, but not with earthly weapons. Instead, emptied of themselves, having yielded all to the cross, coming not in their own human authority, they'll able to be heralds of the good news that God has defeated evil and sin in the world. Coming not in their own authority as humans, but actually coming in Christ's authority. They are open channels of his justice and righteousness, creating a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-class, living temple of men and women. Examples of the kingdom. God's rule and reign breaking into the world. The future crashing into the present. God wants to rid the worlds of sin. But he does this through ridding us of sin so that we can be his agents of justice, peace, and righteousness in the world. The world hungers after a new world, a new story. We see this everywhere from the newspaper to conversations. There is a deep desire to see the world renewed. But the story we celebrate today reminds us that this world can only be created by God. No human can conquer death. No human can roll away the stone. The kingdom of God of which Jesus spoke to Pilate broke out that early morning in the graveyard. And it's actually breaking out right now all around us for those who have eyes to see. The price of entry, a bended knee and a yielded heart. Tom Wright says this, Take up your cross, Jesus said. He invites us to a great act of faith and trust. To look with a clear eye at the moral choices we face. And we prepare to say no, even if it really hurts, when faced with subtle and powerful temptations. In the sight of the foolish, such behavior seems to be death, but we will be at peace. We are to live in the present as resurrection people. So here we are, Easter 2021, a world disrupted by global pandemic, a world hungering for renewal, but also a world waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed as they step into their identity through allowing themselves to yield, to take up their cross to not pursue our personal projects, whether personal or corporate, at renovation, revival and renewal, but instead to remember why we have been created, to be God's resurrection people. So this Easter, 
It's an opportunity as we visit this story every year to again say yes. To like Mary in the quiet air of that morning garden 2,000 years ago. To recognize that our entire world revolves around Jesus and he is remaking the world. That's what it is to be a human. That's what it is to be the church. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you came to earth. You did not stay distant. That you lived this life where you were the kingdom. We got to see what justice and peace and righteousness. We saw the way you loved the leper. And you showed grace to the centurion. We thank you, Father, that you choose to partner with us broken, sinful humans. And you reach out your hand and offer us grace. We pray at this time that we may remember the centrality of what you did on the cross, that you asked us to take up our cross daily. And we know at this moment when so much is being revealed, even in the church, even amongst believers, we need to follow your path of holiness. We want to be more like you. And Father, we want to be part of the resurrection story that burst from the tomb on that Sunday 2,000 years ago. So be with us now. Help us say yes to you, whether it's our first yes or saying yes yet again. We say yes to you, Jesus. Be the king of our lives, our church and our world, we ask. Help us to be your agents of righteousness and justice in the world. May your Holy Spirit now minister to us. May we be filled with that sense of victory and joy that you have overcome the world. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Happy Easter.